702 on a Monday. It's a hip hop Christmas Monday. It was also hip hop Christmas Friday and hip hop Christmas Thursday. It was a Fiesta Friday Christmas. I think you played one of these. Someone found the album on Twitter, by the way. And it is the most generic album. It's just Santa wearing a gold chain and some sunglasses. It says hip hop Christmas. I know that's what I think of when I think of a hip hop Christmas. They putrefied Santa. He died on the way back to his home planet. Halvard Rev in the morning. You're listening to it. It is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour two of the program. Uh, Adnan Burke from MLB Network is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go after one of the more remarkable, unprecedented, craziest weekends in MLB free agency history. Uh, Adnan Verk joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Adnan. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Jason, good to reunite with you guys. How you doing? Yeah, we're good. Um, I don't even know really where to begin with what happened with Shohei Otani and the Blue I Jays. I do. I have the question. Did, Jason has the question. I do. Adnan, did the Jays ever really have a chance at Shohei? I think they did, Jason. I really do. You know, I was at the winter meetings in Nashville, my first time there in Smashville. And uh, sadly, Predators would attend to not get to see a game at Bridgestone. But in the midst of nothing happening with regards to free agency, because everybody was waiting for Otani, perhaps it was just honky-tonk way and all these Cowboys around me. But I started to believe the crazy thought that the Blue Jays would actually sign Otani. And Tom Verducci, legendary Sports Illustrated writer who I've been reading since I was 15 years old, he said to me, it's going to be Toronto. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And he, and he started to explain it to me. And I said, this actually makes total sense because it's something we should have stumbled upon previously. Rogers has the money to pay. Telecommunications company, good for his brand. He already owns Japan and America now, own Canada. It's a good team and not a great team yet. They've underachieved, but he can come in there like Superman, take them to the next level. They win a World Series in the next two years with Bo, with Vlad. Uh, sizable international audience, Japanese-American audience. Uh, population is supportive. He's a good, you know, all, all these things he started checking off. I go, okay. And I go, but again, why not the Dodgers? You get to tell me a why he's saying no to the Dodgers. Like what do the Dodgers don't have the Jays do have? And that was always my concern. But once we started tracking planes on Friday and once John Morosi was saying it's happening, like, okay, I guess it's happening. So I was swept up in the history of everybody else. But I do think Jason, they gave a heck of a pitch. Now I do think Otani deep in his heart knew where he wanted to go. And all along, that's why we kept saying Dodgers. But it's kind of remarkable how close the Jays got. Because if you asked me a month ago, I would have hit Toronto sixth or seventh on the list. I would have said it goes Dodgers, uh, then Giants, then Angels, then Mariners, then Rangers, then Braves, then maybe Mets, then maybe the Jays. So I do think he strongly considered it. But I understand your point, and I think you can look skeptically and say, was he just using Toronto for leverage all along? Let's suppose they offered 600, and that drove the price up on the Dodgers to offer 700? Perhaps. But yeah. I do think they had a legit chance here for the reasons that Tom is telling me. Yeah, I just think all those reasons further my skepticism. Like the Otani camp found the perfect stocking horse in the Toronto Blue Jays, who, like you said, had the deep pockets. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the situation was kept so quiet and private that 
we don't know what Otani was ever thinking. And so do you think we ever will? Like, will we ever know the true story of the big decision that Otani had to make this past weekend? Probably not. And it's funny you mentioned decision because that kept saying this is the biggest free agent since LeBron James 15 years ago and the decision. And what a contrast the way two star players treated. And now the one is right, now the one is wrong. But LeBron is going to televise special with Jim Gray. I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And Otani, you don't hear a whisper. You don't hear a thing. And as a matter of fact, it's forbidden to even talk about it. Poor Dave Roberts was asked a question because I'm not going to lie. Yes, we did meet with him for a few hours. It was a great time. And then he gets, you know, slapped to the wrist by like, hey, Dave, Dave shh. And that's what's the same thing. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. You know, it's just so funny how with NBA players becomes a big courting process. And with Otani, he wanted to kept as hush-hush as possible. But, yeah, knowing him and his camp, it's not going to come out. I mean, I'm sure people will try the likes of Verducci and Morosi and John Heyman and Bob Knight and Gavel. They'll try to get to the root of it. But, no, I think ultimately he's just going to say, yep, L.A.'s where I wanted to be all along. I'm comfortable here. I just get to play for a better team uh, in L.A. That's basically all he's doing. He gets all the comforts of L.A., but he plays for an established winner of the Dodgers and a perennial contender rather than the Angels were also Rams. But, yeah, we'll never actually know for sure how strong he was considering Toronto. So where does this put the Dodgers with Otani in the lineup? And even though he won't be pitching next season, you know, what, what, does, it, what does it give them? Right, so they're already a great team, and they can become an even greater team. They're now the favorites from the World Series ahead of the Braves. But, of course, we don't think it's going to happen, right? We, we've, there's been plenty of teams in the past that have been loaded and have fallen short of winning a World Series. Injuries can always creep up. That can be a factor. I do think they still need help with regards to their pitching. You know, they, they relied an awful lot last year on young players coming up. And maybe some of those guys come to fruition, the likes of Pepeo and others, but they have to hope Walker Buehler is back to being a horse coming off of the major injury. If he can be their ace, if Kershaw, you know, who knows if he comes back, I think he probably will now. They're tying decision. He's year to year. But Kershaw comes back as a number two, as a number three, and they could still, you know, make a move here or there because Lance Lynn they have traded for. Innings either he ends up signing um, elsewhere now with, with St. Louis. So I think their pitching still has some question marks, but offensively they're, they're, they feel like a juggernaut. When you look at their lineup, it's pretty fun to watch when you're just imagining Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Otani as your two, three, four, in whatever order you want to make it. And as you said, he's not going to pitch next year. He's going to be making $70 million to be a DH. I'd love it if the Dodgers told him, hey, listen, for a year, can you actually play a position? Like it's, It just feels like we'll get a little more bang for our buck here. I don't know how you can validate that kind of money, but they're smarter than I am. I'm sure they've done all sorts of things they're going to do with regards to merchandising and endorsements and tapping into that very robust Asian market. But I think that right now the Dodgers are the favorite to win. I do think that they're still going to move or two away, but I, I wouldn't discount them going after Yamamoto. Why not? Let's go make another huge signing and really shore up our pitching in a big-time manner. So they cleared salary the last couple of years, Jason. We saw that. You know, They were not top five in salary this past season. Um, and that's because they were waiting. You know, they, they cleared Trey Turner off the deck. Justin Turner was gone. Bellinger gone. They've saved up for this moment, and they knew what they were getting with Otani. So we'll see if it ends up working out. But to think $70 million for a guy who may never pitch again. I mean, he's going to be a two-time Tommy John guy, which is a very small list of players who have successfully come back, including Nathan Evaldi. But clearly the Dodgers felt it was worth the risk. Where does this leave the Jays? Because at the end of the season, it's not like Ross Atkins was the most popular uh, you know, leader of a baseball team in all of Major League Baseball. Right. And this is where it gets frustrating because you say, ultimately, as much fun as that was, what a ride that was, charting a plane on a Friday, 
and ends up being a guy from Shark Tank who's like, oh, sorry to disappoint you guys. You know, as much fun as that pendulum of emotion was, ultimately you're left holding an empty bag. And this was an underachieving Blue Jays team that couldn't even win 90 games last year. 89 wins with a premier pitching staff, like outstanding pitching, even with Manoa being a non-factor. So now you look at the drawing board, and you look around and you go, oh, my God, the Yankees got Soto. Like, he's an outstanding young player, 25 years old, 410 on base, 519 slug. You're looking at perennial 900 OPS, three-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger. Again, he's 25 years of age. You pair him with Judge, I'm like, that, that is as good a two-threes you're going to get in baseball. So the Jays got to make some moves, period. I mean, the Yankees got demonstrably better. I think they'll continue to make moves as well. Maybe they'll be in on Yamamoto as well. Um, but Toronto's going to try to sign Bellinger or someone because clearly their offense needs a lift. That was what the issue was. Otani would have been a massive boost. In that division, you cannot rest on your laurels. The Orioles aren't going anywhere. They won the division. The Rays are going to win 90-plus. The Yankees are going to win 90-plus. So for the Jays right now, they're going to have to get over the frustration of losing at Otani and go make some moves because they're going to lose Chapman, who, again, is a premier defensive third baseman. He'll hit you 20 home runs, so you've already got some holes down your lineup. Kiermaier's going to go somewhere else. So uh, Ross Atkins has some work to do. So with regards to Otani, and like I think everyone's expecting Otani to be ready to start hitting come opening day, although everything with the guy is so shrouded in secrecy, no one can quite tell. But let's assume that he is ready to go. Um, how certain are we that Otani's going to be back? Is it fair to ask if he's going to be himself when he gets back to playing with the Dodgers? I think so. I think as a hitter, Mike, you can say, this guy had a serious injury in September, was still playing and still playing well. And then eventually realized, hey, we're not playing for anything. Let's just shut this baby down. Right. But yeah, I think you can certainly pencil in Otani and go, he's going to hit 300. He's going to hit 40 home runs and drive at 100. I really feel with confidence, even with the injury he'll be dealing with all year, you can expect that. I mean, this guy's durability is impressive. He's a hard worker. He cares about winning. You know, he's, he has all the makings of what is a guy who is a two-time MVP who's not going to rest on his laurels. And he's clearly not a player who's going to mail it in either. He knows the pressure that's on him. He knows he's a trailblazer. To think that the, the biggest contract ever went from 426 to 700. You know, he's very well aware of the responsibility he carries and what they're expecting with the Dodgers. And you know, part of the sell on why it would have been the Blue Jays is he really could have said the Jays are my team. I know Bowen's ladder obviously very well liked, but he would have been a superstar. Now the Dodgers, he can just fit in seamlessly. You know, it's Mookie's team, it's Freddie's team, and it's Shohei's team as well. But I think even with a guy who's not 100%, as a hitter, you can still expect massive numbers. He'll be in the MVP race. And fingers crossed he'll be pitching again in 2025, which is really what makes him so unique. Like, I can't imagine if this contract ends up signing and he tries to come back in 2025 as a pitcher mm. and he fails. And you go, wow, $70 million for a DH. That <laughs> feels like lunacy. But, again, we'll take it one step at a time. Okay, before we let you go, I got to ask. So given everything that's happened over the last 72 to 96 hours, $700 million for one baseball player, flight tracking, erroneous reports, misinformation, <laughs> all of it. Was this saga a good thing for baseball or a bad thing for baseball? Oh, it was a great thing for baseball. There's no question about it. I mean, I, I stepped away from my phone Friday for half an hour. I had like 21 text messages. Like people were losing their minds. To think that you were tracking a plane, I mean, it sounds hysterical now in hindsight. And as my wife said, more than a little creepy. Um, the only <laughs> thing that kind of led the loon was that when the news came out, on a college football Saturday with no college football, except for Army-Navy, 318 of Shohei Otani Instagram post. That was the only disappointment of it. Like, I think the whole week, 
as I said, the winter meetings was a lot of inertia, but everyone was kind of waiting with breathless anticipation. The Friday was an incredibly wild ride, and you're eventually let down by the fact that he's not on the plane. Well, you still felt like, well, the Jays are still in the mix. Maybe he'll sign Saturday. So maybe he'll sign Sunday. Maybe it's Monday. So the weight was still there. The only disappointment was the climax could have been a little bit juicier rather than just an, uh, an Otani Instagram post. But I think it was great for baseball. It was the top trending topic on X. And like I said, even casual sports fans were talking about it. And certainly once the headline came, $700 million to play baseball. I think it's pretty good for baseball. And it will only get better because now hopefully the dam is burst, right? Everyone was waiting for Shohei. Now that he's signed, you'll get other players in the mix, the likes of Bellinger, Chapman, Yamamoto, Blake Snell, Eventually, those guys will sign, which will uh, keep the buzz around baseball. I got to admit, I did love the drama. I do love the drama, so it was pretty entertaining. Adnan, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy whatever else the offseason has to bring. We'll do this again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Jason. Talk soon, fellas. Talk later. Thanks, Adnan. That's Adnan Virk from MLB Network here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. So I said I, I love the drama, right? And as I go back into the National Hockey League, there was the the rough stuff that we talked about this weekend, right? We all saw, everyone saw this, all you listeners out there, you saw Eric Goodbranson tune up Nick Cousins, old school style, yeah. right? It was after a dirty hit by Nick Cousins, which was originally given a major and then dropped down to a minor for boarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, he smashes Goodbranson in to the boards. Goodbranson tried to go after Cousins right away. Cousins turtled. Very next shift that Goodbranson and Cousins were out there. Goodbranson's like, I'm not missing this time. It was kind of weak on, on Cousins to turtle for a second time, but anyway. Goodbranson's got a hearing today. Yeah. Phone hearing, so uh, it's gonna if he's going to be suspended, it's going to be fewer than five games. I, I felt for Goodbranson, though. Like, I, I thought... I'm like, I'm like, what is he supposed to do? Uh, he got... Just take it? He got hammered. It's dangerous stuff. It was dangerous. And yeah. Cousins has a reputation for being a super greasy player. So there was that. Uh, Friday night, the Dylan Larkin situation, and um, when they were playing, it was a Tampa Bay, right? And he got knocked unconscious, and then David Perron took matters into his own hands. It wasn't Not- Tampa Bay. I don't know. Tampa Bay didn't play. Who were they playing on? It was M- Matthew Joseph that he got tangled up with. I got it in my Ottawa? notes somewhere, but I got 9 million notes. Okay. Ottawa, thank you, because yeah. it was Artem Zub that was on the receiving end of some more frontier justice from David Perron, mm-hmm. who misidentified the culprit <laughs> in that one, unfortunately. <laughs> and then last night, the Winnipeg Jets are playing Anaheim, and Ryan Strom gets tossed. He gets five in a game for going knee-on-knee with Kyle Connor, and Kyle Connor had to leave, and the Jets were not happy. Mark Scheifele jumped to his defense and beat up Ryan Strom for that one. So we had a lot of drama. And then as it goes back to the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday, the Canucks have caused a lot of drama with the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes because after losing their fourth straight game, the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that has been a model of consistency and winning over the last few years, had to have a players-only meeting where they were venting about their frustrations having mm-hmm. hit the skids. Uh, speaking of kind of inconsistent teams the Tampa Bay Lightning are coming into Vancouver on Tuesday and I have no idea what to expect from these guys they had that four game losing streak do you remember started with the 4-1 loss to Colorado then they went and lost to Arizona they lost to Pittsburgh and then they got blown out 8-1 by Dallas well they turned it around because the very next game, it was a home-and-home home with Dallas. They came home, and they beat the Dallas Stars 4-0, and then they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 3-1, and we were like, okay, it was just a little blip. We give the Tampa Bay Lightning the benefit of the doubt. Well, it's been kind of shaky since then. Uh, they lost to Nashville 5-1, to and then they barely beat Seattle on Saturday. And the way everyone's been t- tuning up on the Seattle Kraken, barely beating the Kraken in overtime as the case was, uh, isn't all that impressive. The Kraken, by the way, they are 
lost right They've now. They've lost eight that, straight games. That is a bad, bad team in Seattle. And I think the unfortunate part for them is in, in Seattle. I don't know how many people care. You know, I, I st- we, we should have this discussion maybe another time just in, like, how big are the Kraken in Seattle? And what is the risk that they get absolutely buried in that city that is going to be, you know, always going to be into the Seahawks? Um, the Huskies are going to the college football championship. That's the big one. the final year, right? four, right? That's completely you know? overshadowing. And them. we're going to talk. I think we've got a guest this week talk about NBA expansion. Like, eventually Seattle's getting an NBA team back. So where will the Kraken fit after all that? Uh, but anyway, back to Tampa Bay. They come into Vancouver on Tuesday. And again, I, I really don't know what to expect, except for the fact that every time Kucherov has the puck, I'll probably be terrified. I was just going to say, I'll yeah. tell you what to expect. Kucherov probably getting at least two points. He's got eight in five games in November. Or sorry, December. Um, and he's the NHL's leading scorer. He's been the most consistent performer for a team that, as you mentioned, has been like riddled with inconsistencies. They do have Vasilevsky back now, and he's played about five or six games, so he's starting to get his legs underneath him a little bit. And you mentioned that 5-1 loss to Nashville. That was actually a Jonas Johansson game, who had filled in admirably. They didn't have another option. Like He played, and he did his best, but he's not a very good goalie, and his numbers kind of reflected that. That's, I think that's partly why they, it was kind of understood they, they rushed mm-hmm. uh, Vasilevsky back a little bit. They, they, they probably could have given him a couple more weeks to find his legs or go on a conditioning yeah. stint. Or they, maybe they weren't not big fans of Matt Tompkins? They didn't they, want to... Yeah, like, I mean, they, they did well to keep their heads above water with the goaltending duo that they had. It was Matt Tompkins and Junis Johansson, right? As Jonas I, continue, I continue to mangle his yeah. name every time I pronounce it. Does anyone wonder if the Stamco's contract situation has had maybe a bit of an effect on culture in Tampa Bay? Like, Stamco's I, being upset with the organization. And I, the fact that a lot of people are wondering if he's even going to be re-signed by the team. I don't think that it's helped the situation. Yeah. I look at Tampa Bay, and I've said this countless times when I go on my useless tangents and rants about contract contract length and the salary cap punishing good teams. But to me, this was an eventual war of attrition with this team. I just don't think you can lose the amount of guys that they've lost over the last four or five years and expect to remain competitive like that. Just count the number of guys that are on different NHL teams that were fundamentally important players to them in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Palat. Kalorn, McDonough, like good veteran guys that they would more than be happy to keep around, but they couldn't. Yeah. Right. And, and you ju- and you just, yeah, you just, they did, they needed to keep pulling rabbits out of, out of the hat with new players. And, you know, we've got the, we got the Tampa Bay system. Do you remember the Red Wings system? Everyone used to be like, the Red Wings will be good forever because they overbake their prospects in the AHL. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, they've done a great job, but it's really hard to do that year after year after year. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, though, still have the potential <laughs> to win a lot of games and they still have the potential to beat the Vancouver Canucks as they did earlier in the season. Um, we're going to talk to Mike Tanier coming up. Talk a little NFL. I don't know how much time we're going to spend on the Seahawks, so let's talk about that Seahawks loss to the 49ers yesterday. It was frankly closer than I expected it would be. They actually uh, played okay. They didn't. Their defense was they, they pathetic. Were, oh, I said their de- okay. Their defense was pathetic. Uh, I know the Niners are really good. Uh, I'll be surprised if they don't at least get to the Super Bowl this year. They are, for my money, the most obvious team to beat in the NFL this season. They have weapons on both sides of the ball. 
when it was revealed that Geno Smith wouldn't be able to play and that Drew Locke was going to play, the line in this game jumped from something like, what was it, 9.5 up to 14 um, so credit the Seahawks, I guess. Did they cover, did they cover the spread? They sure did, bud. They covered the spread. They covered but, the 14 and a half. You know, I know they started okay, and maybe if you were super naive, uh, you were getting a little optimistic early on. They even had a 10-7 lead, but their, their defense could not tackle. They couldn't tackle. And we can talk about all the issues that they've got. Uh, Jamal Adams just not being a fit with this team. They've never figured out how, how to use him properly. Um, he's a safety, but he's got the his best attributes are kind of like linebacker, um, uh, you know, attributes. He's awful in coverage, and the 49ers picked on him. Now you can say that in what world? Why was Jamal Adams left to cover Debo Samuel? And I think that's a good question. I think that's that's a that's a fair point. Talking about some of the schemes that the Seahawks are running defensively, because the 49ers essentially did whatever they wanted against the Seahawks. I don't know how many yards they finished with 500, 600. It felt like 900. Uh, defensively, the Seahawks were an absolute disaster against the 49ers. Drew Locke did fine. He yep. was the okay part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the expectations for him were low, and he maybe surpassed them. I would say he surpassed them. Yeah. I mean, he put up over 200 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, he threw a couple of interceptions against the probably the best defense in the NFL. The The Jamal Adams thing was funny because he took full ownership for the uh, Debo Samuel. He got caught so flat-footed. Yeah, and he said he did because he was expecting a, a dig route. Everyone knows that, mm-hmm. a dig route, where he had the outside linebackers blitzing, and then he thought that the ball was going to come out quicker because of a blitz, and yeah. it didn't happen, and then all of a sudden it was bye-bye Debo, and he was to Gone. the house. Look, they're not a very good football team. That's been the re- <laughs> that's been the real, real sad part of this season, is that at 5-2, and two, everyone on the planet knew that getting out to that mark was really just a precursor to the test. And the test was going to be through weeks 9 through 15 when you have Baltimore, Washington, the Los Angeles Rams, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the 49ers again, and the Eagles. Your medal is going to be tested. Are you at all legitimate? They have failed that test so miserably, so miserably, that it doesn't even surprise me. And it's not even that disappointing what they did in San Fran on the weekend. To be honest, I was like... They actually hung around longer than I thought they would. They didn't get as thoroughly dominated as they had in the past. That's how low the bar is for me. When I say they played the 49ers okay. 49ers came sleepwalking into that game. That's they fine. knew that they were going to beat the Seahawks easily. That's, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. That's not a rivalry. The They have now, I mean, just consider this. Oh, no, for, it's not a rivalry. For the, for the low points of the Pete Carroll era, of which there haven't been many, first time since Pete Carroll took over coaching the Seattle Seahawks and they've had a four-game losing streak. First time in franchise history that they've lost five in a row to the 49ers. So there are some inescapable facts about this team that they are just kind of average, kind of meh, and kind of mid. This really was going to happen at some point after the gutting of the team that was obviously the the watermark of that was the Russell Wilson trade, Mm -hmm. that you were starting anew. And they kind of held off for a while because Geno played so well last year. But now I think everything's kind of coming home to roost and you're starting to see they cannot compete with elite teams in the NFL. And they're not even particularly close. Uh, We're going to talk about the rest of the NFL story from this weekend with Mike Tanier coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. 
most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a flag down at the line of scrimmage as the pass is to an open Travis Kelsey who flings it back over to Tony. My goodness, this is going for a touchdown. It's a legendary moment, man. I mean, nothing that's not taught, something that only a couple people in this world would even think about doing. For him to make that play in that moment, miss, making the catch, making a couple dudes miss, and throwing the ball across the field to another guy and scoring a touchdown in that moment, I hope they still show it whenever whenever he goes to the Hall of Fame because that's that's a legendary moment that uh, we didn't get to didn't get to really uh, witness. Seven thirty-three on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us in just a minute here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I don't think I enjoy anything quite as much as Laddie enjoys hip-hop Christmas music. You are loving this. This is great. You've been wearing. He has this tiny, and I want to really reiterate how tiny it is. It's like a three-inch hat. It's a three-inch Christmas hat, a stocking mm-hmm. hat that he's wearing, kind of askew off his headset. And you've been wearing. It's it's December eleventh. We're two weeks away from Christmas, but you are fully in the spirit. And it's I'm close I'm enough ca- for me. It'd be funny if you had a bunch of them and they get progressively bigger each day <laughs> as it gets closer to Christmas. I think Laddie was was jealous of all the attention Andy got for loving Halloween so much that he's like, Christmas can be my thing. Well, yeah, I've got a two-year-old daughter now, right? So I, I feel like I'm in the Christmas spirit a little more than I have been in the mm. past. You should FaceTime her at like six in the morning when you start work and look, look, daddy's ready. He's Christmas prepared. I have this tiny little hat on. Uh, the audio you heard coming back from break, probably the biggest NFL story of the weekend that we haven't talked about yet. And that was the ending. Of the Bills-Chiefs game, which, by the way, screwed me out of my lock of the week. But let's not focus on that. Uh, the gist, real quick, before we get to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. With just over a minute left on Sunday and the Bills leading 20-17, to 17, it looked like the Chiefs had pulled off some more classic Chiefs magic. Mahomes throws to Kelsey. Kelsey, who I'll remind you is a former quarterback, looked up and across the field in lateral position saw Kadarius Toney. So he whipped a very nice overhand pass, lateraling, of course, to Tony. Tony runs it in for the touchdown. Everyone's going crazy. The Chiefs have done it again to the Bills. Last second magic. But hold on. Kadarius Tony, the scorer, said touchdown, lined up in an offsides position. There was a yellow hanky on the play. The touchdown was negated for offsides. The Chiefs could not do anything with the ball from there, and they lost the game 20-17. to Now, in a weird moment, Mahomes decided to call out the referees for calling Katarius Tony offside when Katarius Tony was offside. For more on this very, very strange reaction and everything that went on on Sunday, let's go to the phone lines now. Uh, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, joins us on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing fine. This is our fault. Okay. This is all of our fault. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Reid complaining at the end of the game. This is our fault. We can create a culture where 
after every single game, you know, the fans, reporters, media, we ask about this call, this fourth quarter call, that fourth quarter call. You know, the Chiefs had, you know, a, a pass interference penalty. Well, you should have gotten this or shouldn't have gotten that, et cetera. So eventually the players just give up and start complaining about calls, even good calls themselves. I, I mean, I think, you know, Mahomes overdid it. I think Andy Reid is completely overdoing it here. But this is the culture we create where instead of talking about the game, interesting game with lots of things, we say, here's a call. This is the conversation. Go complain about it. I did think it was really interesting, the tact that they both took, because Reed said, quote, it's a bit embarrassing for the National Football League for that to take place. <laughs> and I said, for them to call a very obvious offside. Yeah, Andy Reed wanted like a heads up from the ref. Like he said, I normally get a heads up from the ref that my player is offside. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. well, that, I feel like that's a you problem yeah. in this case. You know what, Mike, though? You do bring up a really interesting dynamic because this is a going across all sports right now as we go further and further into the replay world and everything's sort of taken out of the hands of the officials. I, I don't think criticizing the officials is at an all time high or it's some sort of, you know, epidemic or pandemic with regards to complaints about officiating, but there's a certain element right now where people are more, oh, oh, instead of just saying we take the game and we take the referee's rulings and we move on, there sure seems to be a lot more griping, a lot more belly aching. And you're right, it was normally reserved for media and fans, and now it's crossed the crossed the uh, aisle, I suppose. <laughs> it's crossed the aisle because players live in this environment. They grow up in this environment. You know, if you're a, you're a rookie now, you, you know, five six years ago when we were complaining about calls. You were a high school kid, you know, so you're in that. I'll just give you two examples. One is after the Monday night game on Pro Football Talk. You know, this is a Monday night game where the, the Bengals won. You know, Mike Florio was floating this. Boy, there was a holding call late in the game, and even though it was accurate, it wasn't that strange. I was like, right. what, what are we supposed to do now? Are we supposed to, like, 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 look at every single play and say, well, that should have been this, that should have been this, here's the real winner. That was one, you know, symptom of this illness. The other one is... You know, last week before the Eagles-Cowboys game, but after the Eagles lost to the 49ers, my, uh, my neighbor was out in the, on the front lawn and we were talking. And remember, the 49ers beat the living daylights out of the Philadelphia Eagles. This was not a close game with a fourth-quarter call. Started complaining about the officials. Hey, you know what? That referee crew, he, you know, that referee crew, the Eagles are 1-5 are and five with that referee crew while the 49ers are 3-0. Well, Eagles lost by 20. The Eagles lost by 20. This is what it descends to. And as fans... As fans, you and I, all of us, we ruin it for ourselves when we don't simply say, hey, sometimes weird calls, questionable calls are part of life. Let's focus on the game. Let's focus on the enjoyment you have of watching these crazy things unfold. Hey, Mike, uh, the Seahawks are not well, and we are not well with them. <laughs> um, yeah. They get the Eagles next week on Monday mm -hmm. night, and of this really tough slate of games that they've been playing, there's four games in a row. They played the Niners twice, and we're like, no chance. Uh, they had to go down yeah. to Dallas, and that's tough on the road against the Cowboys, and they played okay in that, except for on fourth down, where they're 0 for 3. Uh, Dallas is a pretty yeah. good team. Um, but this Eagles team seems to be struggling a little bit. Are they vulnerable to a desperate Seattle team on Monday night? I say a little bit vulnerable. You know, the, the Eagles are kind of proven with everything we've seen. They're the third best team in the NFC. Yeah, the Cowboys are better than them, even though you know it's close. Uh, you know, because there was a win earlier in the year. Forty Nine ers are better than everybody. The Eagles do have some things that you can take advantage of. You can look at the Eagles and say, "Man, middle of that defense is weak. You can you can toss the ball over the middle and get big plays." Uh, you can look at them and say, man, if we can figure out a way to shut down their deep passing game, they make mistakes in their offense a little bit. You can take advantage of that. 
I don't think the, the Seahawks team that I've seen in the last couple of weeks, whether it's Geno or Drew Lockett quarterback, I don't think that's the team that's going to go up and, and, and take them, especially because you're not taking the Eagles by surprise. They're not riding high. There's nothing. You know, the Eagles are in crisis mode right now. The Eagles, the, the Seahawks are going to be catching them at the worst possible time when the Seahawks themselves have lots and lots of questions they need to answer. Well, with regards to the Eagles, I mean, there were certain things that got exposed Sunday night against the Cowboys. And then if you look at the last yeah. two weeks, I think a lot of people are saying Eagles are a good team. No question. They're going to make the playoffs. But if you want to talk about a Super Bowl, you just got handled by probably the other two best teams in the NFC. So how badly yeah. have the Eagles been exposed these last two weeks? Well, and that's exactly it. They're as exposed as they need to be. You know, we start saying exposed. We start saying fraud. Yeah. The Eagles are not, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, they're not the Carolina Panthers. But the, the Eagles are also not a team that can win their division and say, hey, that was a good year. You know, the Detroit Lions can say, hey, we won the division. That's a good year. There's teams that can, like, sort of be satisfied with that as an accomplishment. The Eagles are not that team. And if you look at them and say, the playoffs come, and you pretty much have to beat both the Cowboys and the 49ers to reach the Super Bowl to get back to where you were last year. Are the Eagles capable of that? There is zero evidence that they're they're capable of beating both of those teams. You, know, you get lucky here, you get lucky there, you beat the Cowboys, et cetera. There's zero evidence of that. Now, can things change? Lots of things can get changed. Guys can get hurt, whatever. It doesn't look like the Eagles have solutions in their playbook and are in their roster to do anything but, you know, get to the playoffs and then bang their head in the wall of one of these two teams that just beat them. Hey, Mike, how has Joe Flacco been for Cleveland? Elite! Uh, <laughs> Flacco is nice. not, sorry, that's a knee-jerk reaction. It's, it's amazing what happens when you go out there and you complete many of the passes an NFL quarterback needs to complete. That you can... Uh, Play action fake and toss a deep pass over the middle that you can toss it into the flat, that you can execute the rollout. These very simple, almost, you know, like Division three college plays, Flacco is able to run them, and the Browns' defense is able to do its part, and the Browns are able to win games and stay in the playoff berth as a result. I, I've been ranting on the Internet a little bit about how, you know, when Josh Dobbs gets a win or two, it's, it's an inspiration. When Jake Browning gets a win or two, it's like, ooh, who is Jake Browning? Maybe we need to talk about this guy. When Joe Flacco gets a win or two, it's like, oh, my, what does what the NFL come to? How is this happening? How is this possible? It's like, folks, the guy played for a decade. He helped the team win a Super Bowl. He's got a couple things he brings to the table that could be helpful. Uh, Joe Flacco turns 39 on January 16th, and the, oh my God. the I'm kind of I'm cheering for the Browns now. Like the, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm I'm taking them on as my team. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I love this story. So the wild card weekend is January 13th to 15th. So is Joe yeah. Flacco going to be quarterbacking the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs and then turn 39 years old the very next day? I, I think that can happen. There's been examples of strange things. I remember Josh McCown winding up coming off the bench at yeah, 37, right. 38, 39. A guy who didn't have the career Joe Flacco had getting out there and getting into some of these playoff games. What I really think will happen, and there was only a tiny bit of this on uh, on Sunday against the Jaguars, what we'll probably see is a little bit of Dorian Thompson-Robinson as a wildcat guy once yeah. in a while to diversify that offense. Like As teams start to figure out, okay, Flacco's only got ABC that he can do, they can take him out of the game once in a while, put the scrambler in, on fourth and one, they did do this once. Put the scrambler in and let him run for it. I think you're going to see Joe Flacco, but I think you might see a little bit more of a New Orleans Saints-style platoon 
as the Browns pull out all the stops to get as far as they possibly can. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our Monday morning quarterback here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Mike is a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. Uh, the Raiders-Viking game last night, <laughs> yesterday afternoon. A 3 nothing final for those of you that missed it. The lowest-scoring indoor game in NFL history. That was the uh, same score that Manchester United lost by over the weekend, I think. Also, it was the same score that the Minnesota Wild, the hockey team, also won by. So oh, good the Vikings enough. and Wild both won 3 nothing over the weekend. How much of that abomination did you subject yourself to yesterday? Uh, well, I had no chance to because I, you know, I had to watch the the Bills Chiefs, and then uh-huh. you know, my other screen is on the the Forty Nine ers Seahawks, and then in the other corner screen, Justin Herbert gets hurt, and got to keep an eye on that. So this morning, I woke up and I watched the Raiders Vikings game, and oh you know God. what it was? It, it's kind of like a thirteen to ten game that became a three nothing game. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what I mean to say is both teams in the first half they were moving the ball okay, you know, considering quarter. His name is uh, O'Connell and, and Joshua Dobbs. They're getting into the red zone. Then they're missing a field goal. Then they're fumbling. It wasn't that bad. Then I got to the fourth quarter. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't watch any more of this. this, is, this is, they start, yeah, teams are just going three and out every time. Guys are getting hurt. It kind of turns into a mess. But weird game. But you know what? It's the Minnesota Vikings. They have a lot of weird games. Uh, you mentioned the Chargers briefly there. How much longer are the Chargers going to keep Brandon Staley as their head coach? Well, they play on Thursday, so I feel like Brandon Staley's safe till Friday morning. Right. Yeah, and that's about all I can say about it. And and who, who do they have on Thursday night? I'm sorry, I just my brain just cramped up. Uh, I'm looking. They have the they have the Raiders, the classic AFC West oh rivalry God. game on Thursday night football. Another great Thursday night. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> if they lose to the Raiders, who just lost three to nothing, Brandon Staley fired Friday morning, and we can all get on with our lives. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, so for those that are unaware tonight, there's concurrent Monday night football games being played. So this isn't the staggered starts or anything. They got the Giants and the Packers in one, and then the Titans and the Dolphins in the other. Why did the NFL decide to do this? I don't know. I'm really kind of confused. Even... If you staggered them, I think the staggered kickoffs kind of make sense because you can watch both kickoffs. You can like watch both two-minute drills before halftime. Right. There's sort of a fun element to that. One game gets bad, you flip to the other. No idea. It seems like they started with the idea of a Manning cast where Peyton and Eli have to watch two games at once and then backtrack to this conclusion. <laughs> I, the only good that comes out of it is that neither of these matchups are super compelling, but, you know, if you if – you, if you throw two bad things into into the sack, it's better than one bad thing, I suppose. And then, you know, you do get the chance to flip back and forth and see what's going on. Um, do you think the Dolphins are the best team in the AFC or is it Baltimore? And oddly enough, by the way, Miami plays in Baltimore in week 17. So that probably uh, one to wait for as opposed to tonight's game against the Titans. Yeah, that could be home field advantage for the playoffs is, uh, is at stake on New Year's Eve day in the afternoon, little warm-up game between the, uh, the the Ravens and the Dolphins. Right now, I believe the Ravens are the best team in the AFC. Uh, the Dolphins don't have a big win they can hold their hat on. They have a lot of blowouts of bad teams and, you know, bad games against good teams, whereas the Ravens have a better portfolio. Dolphins have another game against a really bad team tonight. 
Uh, the spread is out of control, and I don't, I'm not going to give any wagering advice, but just so you know, the Tennessee Titans, Jeffrey Simmons, their best defensive player, is out. And Ryan Stonehouse, their punter, who's one of the best punters in the NFL, is out. And we usually don't care about this kind of thing, but you know, this is a very weak team that tries to win close games, and they're replacing their punter with a young man that I've never heard of, and his name is not Ty Detner. I think his name is Ty Zetner. Uh, so, so it's really hard to turn around and say, hey, I see an upset for the Tennessee Titans tonight. Mike, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do it. We appreciate it. Enjoy both Monday night football games tonight, and if you can, uh, we'll do this again next Monday. <laughs> will do. Take care. Enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I don't want to call you a hypocrite, Mike, but you were kind of complaining about all the complaining we do about officiating now. You are the lead complainer on this show yeah, about no. refereeing. Yeah. What's the hypocritical part? Well, then, if you don't want the complaining, then stop complaining about I it. I don't want to stop the complaining. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love complaining about I, I, I My eyes glaze over when we have conversations about complaining about bad calls by the, the refs or whatever. Like, I I just, because like, you've, you've accept, just, accepted I, mediocrity in your life. No, I've accepted that it. there's going to be inconsistency, in, inconsistent sees from the refereeing and like you're just yelling at that point right and i don't know i mean i think the, the the end of the chiefs game was ridiculous how patrick mahomes went off like that and how yeah, andy reed andy reed andy reed is so entitled that he expects the referees to tell him when a player is lined up offside how about you're the head coach tell your players that in a very important moment Make sure not to line up offside. I don't think that every referee critique and criticism is valid, if that's what you're suggesting. I think that Mahomes and Reed were way out of line on this one. I think that every single instance and entity needs to be discussed in a vacuum because mm -hmm. it, it's exclusive to the time, the context, the sport, all that. So, I think I have, I, I have I get really frustrated when it turns into conspiracies. Like, the league wants these guys to win. Yeah, I try not right? to engage I mean, ever, in that either. I mean, ever, tongue in cheek, I will, but yeah. I, would, I wouldn't do that. I would say that there are certain moments and certain instances where referees and officials don't do a good enough job. And I think the important thing is to hold those to account. I think the issue that I have, and especially with, and as we go, where the genesis of this is often NHL officiating, mm -hmm. is there's a lack of standard, there's a lack of accountability. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, listen, I'm a hypocrite too on this. I, I say I don't want to argue about it, but there are times when I do get frustrated. Like, I'm frustrated with the lack of consistency with hitting from behind. Now. Exactly. Like, what's, what is a penalty? You know, what, but, are you allowed to hit a guy from behind or are you not allowed to hit a guy from behind? Does it depend how you hit a guy from behind? Like, what are we doing here? And then to just to matter if he gets hurt, the counter to this and the argument that we brought up is like, I think that when Mahomes and Reed do what they do and say what they said, it's important to call them out. If you want accountability and consistencies from the referees, you can't get on them for calling something right, for making the textbook correct call. Do they call it every time? No. And that's where the consistency and accountability comes in. But you don't get on someone's case for making the right call. You can't go, your argument can't be based in, well, the ref should have given us a break. Or, well, the refs don't call it every time. Or, well, the ref should have ha helped us out. What a play. Like, well, getting away from this, uh, this conversation. Yeah. And just let's appreciate how <laughs> much of a screw up that was to line up offside in that situation 
And then the play that occurred with Travis Kelsey playing essentially rugby out there and the Chiefs scoring a touchdown in what would have been the highlight of the year. Mm -hmm. And it all doesn't count in that situation because you lined up offside. Because you lined up offside because you were like, oh, should I not be standing here? Am I, is it it wrong to stand here? Like, you know, it's like you had one job and it was, he had more than one job, but like the first job was to not line up offside. Some would say the easiest job. Crazy, man. It's like, you know, you're like, you say like, hey, I could have done that. And most of the time you're like, no, you can't, you couldn't have done that. We say like, oh, I could have scored that goal or whatever. He's like, you know what? I literally could have done lined up on side on that play. Right. And Kadarius Tony's <laughs> killed the Chiefs this year with bad drops, boneheaded plays. Uh, it might end up being their undoing in the long run because under any other circumstances, an NFL team would have cut ties with this guy already. They just don't have the options because yeah. they have nothing at receiver right now outside of Travis Kelsey. And it's funny because if you go back and you look at some of those classic uh, Chiefs-Bills games over the last few years, punctuated by that amazing you left too much time on the clock. The 13 seconds game, right? If Kelsey makes this play and it stands, you're talking about another all-time famous play. A game-winning touchdown yeah. on a cross-field lateral from a tight end with less than a minute to go. Taylor Swift was there. You're ta- I don't know what the, <laughs> the name of the game would be, but it'd be something, right? That's And that's what got wiped out yesterday. I, I have the tiniest sliver of time for guys that were disappointed to say, yeah, like an all-time play got wiped off the board, but your guy did it. Kadarius Toney is not a good football player. He made a bad football play, and it cost you, and it's cost you all year. Mm -hmm. There's just different ways to do it. You put a guy that is, quite frankly, not up to snuff on the field and continues to make mistakes in different facets. You can't be shocked when he makes a big one in a big moment. You're the team that keeps putting him out there. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks uh, continue their five-game homestand Tuesday against Tampa Bay. And then Thursday, the Florida Panthers are in town, and so too will Roberto Luongo to be entered into the ring of honor. I hope, I think I'm going to be wrong on this, I hope we don't have to relitigate the decision to put Luongo into the ring of honor once again this week. Uh, we had to do that a lot when it was announced that Luongo would only go into the ring of honor as if it's a massive slap in the face. But I suppose maybe, I don't know, maybe it is. So a lot of people Do you think it should it have been bad. retired? His, 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 I'm his, not his, going <laughs> through this. I already said it. I already said it. What's, I, what are your thoughts? I said, I said, it's I'm fine with doesn't. it. doesn't. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Let's not do this. God, Prophet's I hate getting you, upset. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. uh, I am. So Kevin Woodley is going to join us and we'll try to avoid asking him the question. I'll, I ask, actually, I'll ask him. I, I know he will. Okay. <laughs> right away. I know. I, hey, Kev, first I, question. I actually am curious about how the Canucks will deploy their two goalies this week even. Does Casey DeSmith get another game on this five-game homestand? He's already shut out the Minnesota Wild right. on this five-game homestand. Uh, do you try and get Demko some rest? It's hard, though, right? Because Tampa Bay comes in and you're like, man, that is a pretty dangerous team, right? Kucherov is playing unbelievable right now. Tampa Bay has the potential to score a lot of goals. And then Thursday, on the Luongo night, like, isn't there just something, like, do you want to play your backup goalie on a right. night where you're honoring Roberto Luongo? Like, right. even if it makes... I you, know. Do you I know, know what I mean? I like, know, I, I don't I know. know what the inconsistency in my brain is there, but it's almost like... 
Like you should <laughs> putting you into the ring of honor. Also, we're throwing their but we're back up out there. You like, shouldn't make decisions you know of I mean? this nature. Based it's so on, stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. All right? our goaltending decisions will be based on our pregame <laughs> ceremonies from here on in. Hey, but I get it. Hey, Roberto, remember it. that one time you were the backup? Well, guess what we're doing tonight <laughs> yeah, to honor you. We're honoring you. <laughs> it's the Heritage Classic all over again. They should bring out Eddie Lack in some <laughs> capacity, and they should wear the Heritage jerseys. They should retire Eddie Lack's uh, jersey on the night. Yeah, uh, we'll talk to. <laughs> Luke gets ring of honor. Black gets retired. He's like, "What? <laughs> okay, cool." <laughs> You're listening again for some reason to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.